Hey, everybody. Welcome. It is uh, Friday. We are set to go. We hope you are as well. John Skoll's here hosting. Savan Tamarkin is here. Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. You want to reach out anytime, learn more, have a chat on your own. We tell you, you got to do it. You're always invited to do so. one 821 5900 Website, disabilityrights.ca. You'll find links there under the media page to catch our long-running TV shows as well. And then finally, help at disabilityrights.ca to reach out through email. Uh, good to talk to you, pal. we got so much uh, content to get through. we got uh, emails stacking up. But uh, what's going on with you? Hey, John. Good to be here with you. Listen, mm-hmm. it's been a very busy week. Uh, obviously, we're heading into winter. I'm getting lots of calls, lots of emails from people who, unfortunately, you know, with the bad weather, are experiencing the usual kinds of accidents that we yeah. see during this time of year. And, uh, you know, one of the prevalent things that uh, I, I talk about with people is obviously slip and falls. Yes. Obviously, as the temperature is dropping to zero and below zero and we're having these, uh, you know, weird uh, weather patterns, it's heating up, it's cooling down. Uh, you know, we have ice, we have snow and then it melts. And, and so the point is that it's the perfect storm each and every year. This year, no different for the creation of black ice. And one of the things, and we're going to see one of the emails actually that was sent to me from, by uh, by this gentleman. His name is Gerald from Northern Ontario. Uh, it, it's it's really very similar to the kind of emails that I get a lot, which is people are falling, they're slipping because of ice, because of lack of maintenance. And, and I really want to just let people understand what the law is in Ontario when it comes to slip and falls. You know, we do have rules and regulations and laws in place to protect people. And we have that because we are a nation of laws. And so one of the main laws that we have is called the Occupier's Liability Act. Okay. And one of the main sections there, Section 3, basically says that occupiers or whoever has control over a land, a premises, not just a land, premises, could be a building, could be a house, could be a parking lot, sidewalk, whatever, they have an obligation to make sure that anyone that steps onto that premises, uh, gener- generally lawfully, uh, let's put that caveat, uh, has... Uh, the right to be reasonably safe. So the word reasonable is really the key word here. And when people call me and they tell me I've slipped on ice or my spouse slipped on ice or, uh, you know, we tripped and fell because of so-and-so, I try to understand what were the circumstances that led to the accident. And so when we're dealing with black ice, when we're dealing with any kind of hazards or damage, I often tell people, look, it's really critical for you or someone else, either that's with you or witnesses or family members that you can call upon or friends to take pictures and take photographs and videos of the area where you fell. Because I can almost guarantee you, John, it's going to end up being a he said, she said situation down the road when people say that, no, we took, you know, we took care of the place. We put ice, uh, sorry, we put salt, we put sand, we cleared the area. Uh, I hear this a lot with winter maintenance contractors only for, again, there to be this kind of back and forth, an argument as to whether or not they actually did that. And so when somebody, when they trip and fall or slip and fall, whether it's on ice or some kind of a hazard, and we have almost contemporaneous photographs and uh, videos by witnesses or friends, that could end the discussion, it could end the argument. And the reason why that's important is because if you slip and fall, if you're injured because someone was negligent because they did not take care of their property at the right time, and you got injured as a result, and you make a claim for compensation, I can almost guarantee you that their insurance company is going to argue that they were not at fault. They're not even going to talk about your injuries. They're going to focus initially on whether or not they did anything wrong. Were they negligent? Did they uh, breach Section 3 of the Occupier's Liability Act in that they did not keep the premises or the land 
reasonably safe for you and for other patrons. And they're going to argue that they did. They did everything they had to do. And so those photos and videos, again, it almost seems trite for me to say this, but I can't tell you how many times, John, people don't do it. And I don't blame people who are injured, right? Sometimes you're, you know, you slip and fall or you, you, you have an accident. The last thing you're thinking is taking photographs of where you fell. Yeah. But if there are people around you, if you are of the mindset that you can call someone, it is important. I can tell you, I've, I've dealt with claims in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and sometimes in the seven figures where really the existence of a photograph or photographs and videos, uh, that those photographs and videos uh, made the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars because they shifted the blame from the person who was injured to the person who caused the injury because of the lack of maintenance of the area. So it's absolutely critical to make sure that you have those photos and the videos or you have somebody that takes those because that could mean the difference of literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that you are owed in compensation. It's a good warning across the bow, man. It's like you said, we get into this season more and more. Uh, pocket Disability Lawyer, before we get to Gerald's email, which you mentioned, uh, tell me a little bit about that. So that's a website we created a few months back, and uh, it's to help people who are dealing with short-term and long-term disability claims with their insurance companies, and they have questions. Let's say that you applied for LTD, for long-term disability, and you got rejected, you got denied, mm-hmm. or let's say that you were uh, told by your insurance company that you need to be sent to see one of their doctors or assessors, or any other number of questions, and for whatever reason, you don't feel comfortable calling me or calling anyone on my team or any other lawyer. And you want to get information about your specific situation. Well, instead of Googling the answers, which is going to probably lend you, uh, you know, somewhere where you're not going to get necessarily the most accurate information or very general information. And by the way, some websites you go to are U.S. websites. They're not even applicable to our type of law. Uh, Or sometimes you'll go to other provinces' websites, other lawyers' websites. Again, not applicable to our laws here in Ontario. Uh, So it's really critical. So we created this website, which is free. It's anonymous. It's customized so that you enter a few key pieces of information about your situation without entering your name and number, by the way. There's no identifying information. Uh, But you just enter. You say, for example, I I was denied long-term disability, and here's the reason why. Is my insurance company correct in doing that? Or have they acted unlawfully? Well, guess what? That website, free of charge, is going to tell you within seconds if you have a case against your insurance company. And what do you do after you get that answer? Well, if you want to reach out to us for a free consultation, just click the button and then yeah. we'll get the information and then we can connect. If you don't want to connect with us, no problem. Shut down the browser. You won't hear anything from us. But pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca, it's a new thing we've created. It's free. It's anonymous. It's quick. It's accurate. Really, there's no reason not to use it if you have any questions about your disability claim. Love it. Let's get on to uh, Gerald, as you mentioned, says, uh, guys, great show. Thanks for all the helpful information. I never thought I'd need your help, but now it seems that my wife and I do. My wife was walking our dog last week and passed over a parking lot belonging to a local school. She slipped on ice there and fell pretty hard. We're in our early 60s and work full time. She's a manager at a local grocery store nearby. And now we don't know uh, what to do because she fell and she broke her ankle in two spots. She needed surgery and she's still in hospital. I'm not sure what rights we have. That parking lot was definitely uh, properly salted, not properly salted or salted at all. There was ice all over and there's no fence or signs keeping people out. I took photos, there you go, and even videos right after she fell because she called me. What do you think we should do? Well, Gerald, I'm really, really sorry for what uh, your wife went through. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of question that I was referring to at the beginning of the show, John, uh, that, you know, people are out there walking their dogs, going for walks, 
And here you have a situation where, again, uh, somebody slips on ice, uh, probably black ice, and you have a very serious injury. I've dealt with quite a few ankle fractures uh, in, in my practice over almost 20 years of practice, both on the defense side, defending these kinds of claims for insurance companies and also making those kinds of claims for people like Gerald's wife uh, who have been injured. And these are significant injuries. Don't fool yourself. An ankle fracture, especially one where you need surgery and there's potentially metal hardware, screws or, or anything else in there. I mean, that's an injury for life. And when you're in your early 60s, her mobility, I'm not a doctor, but just by experience, her mobility is now compromised. She may have issues. She may need a walker, a cane. This is potentially going to Im- impact not just her ability to do things that she did before, uh, in terms of household activities and just general activities, but also work, especially if she's on her feet quite a lot. Now, it is absolutely critical here, and this is, I want to focus on what Gerald said here. Again, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. He took photos and videos right after she fell. So there's not going to be a possibility for the other side to say that they did everything right. You know, they're not going to be able to pass the buck to whichever winter, and, uh, winter maintenance company they hired and say, oh, they, they did everything right. They have records, you know, that they salted the area an hour before she walked, etc. Yeah. That's not going to matter because we have almost contemporaneous photos and videos of the area. It's not going to be a slam and down case. I don't want to, people to think that. What I'm saying is this is going to give Gerald and his wife a significant advantage with this claim. Now, what do we do now, Gerald? Well, this is where we have to chat and we're going to talk. We're going to connect after the show and I'll explain to you and your wife exactly what needs to be done. But the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to get all the information in terms of where she fell exactly. And it's not as simple as thinking, John, that, okay, because I fell on this school parking lot, that school is responsible. Because I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you, it's not the teachers who are cleaning up the area. (laughs) It's probably a company that has been contracted by the Board of Education. And, And many of these companies then subcontract to other smaller companies. And here's the thing. We have to do our due diligence on that front because we could potentially have multiple parties with multiple insurance companies who are going to have to come to the table and pay Gerald and his wife for the injuries that she suffered and the damage that they are now incurring. And I'm saying they are incurring is because even though his wife is the one that's injured, again, under Ontario law, family members are also entitled to make uh, claims for compensation. And that's under the Family Law Act, Section 61. So, you know, we're dealing with a very significant injury. I can tell you, I, just two cases come to mind in the last few years that I, I've, I've dealt with, with, with significant ankle injuries. Uh, and, and those claims, one resolved for, I, 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 I think it was around, I'm trying to remember, around $350,000. And the other one was over $500,000. Wow. Again, we have to look at the significance of these injuries, the impact on the person's ability to do their pre-accident activities, and their ability to earn income because of those injuries. And those damages can add up very, very quickly, but you have to do this right. Not every lawyer can do this, can get these results. Not every law firm has the resources. Again, this is what we do, what I do, what my firm does. We've been doing this for many, many years. We know what we're doing. And so, Gerald, we're going to get in touch with you after the show, connect with you and your wife and explain everything. And then you guys will be empowered to make the decisions that are best for you in terms of how to proceed. Gerald, appreciate that. Moving on to a quick break. We'll get to more of your emails. In the meantime, that uh, that number to reach out to Savannah's team, which you should always do if uh, only for some questions in the chat, one 821 help at disabilityrights.ca. More uh, emails coming right up. Hang on. All right. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. You're off on your weekend in a few minutes here, but first we got a little more business to take care of with uh, Savannah Tamarkin. You want to move? Uh, reach out to Savannah and the team at the firm. 
uh, with any matters you want to discuss for yourself, family member, colleague, it's that time of year where, uh, like we uh, talked about in the first segment, Savannah, more slips and falls are going to happen, and other things as well that's always going down. Toll free to reach out. Uh, pleasure to do so. one 821 5900 Help at, or pardon me, info at disabilityrights.ca. Help at, help at disabilityrights.ca for more information is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Lewis, next guy up, says, Savannah, love the show. Thank you so much. Question, is there a law regarding long-term disability insurer providing me with a copy of my personal information. I was sent to see a specialist at their request, and the report went back to the insurance company but did not go to my family physician. Do I have the right to ask for a copy? That's a very interesting question, Lewis, and this is something that we get asked about quite a lot. That and uh, can I get a copy of my long-term disability insurance policy? And, And those are interesting questions because both of them seem to be asking for information and documentation from your long-term disability insurance company. But the answer is different to both questions. So with respect to your long-term disability policy, generally, if that's through a work uh, uh, health benefits plan, usually your HR at your at your company will be able to provide you with a copy, or you can sometimes request it directly from your insurer. There shouldn't be any issue. And in fact, there's legislation Uh, I think in almost every province and territory in the country that entitles you to a copy of your LTD policy uh, from your insurance company. But Lewis is asking, what about other information, other documentation, personal type stuff? Like, for example, I was sent to see one of their doctors, the insurance company's doctors. Now, I want to back up here for a second, John. You and I have talked about this a lot, but I wanted to set the stage here for people to understand context. When someone is a long-term disability, it means that they have applied for and got approved under usually a private type of a policy or a policy of insurance that uh, pays you anywhere from 60 to 85% of your pre-disability income if you cannot work because of an injury, because of an illness, or a combination of both. And a lot of times people have that kind of coverage through their work health benefits plan. Now, when you apply and you're approved, at some point, and this happens almost always in my experience, the insurance company, your insurance company is going to say, Hey, Lewis, I want to send you, we want to send you to one of our doctors so they can examine you or they can assess you. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all this information from your doctors who are telling us you're disabled, you can't work, but we want to have one of our doctors actually assess you. And under the policy, you have to go. And so you go. And in some instances, the insurance company says, thank you very much that you went to our doctor and we'll let you know what we decide. And so you say, okay. I went to your doctor, but I want to get a copy now of whatever that doctor generated. Mm -hmm. And the insurance company either ignores you or or says, no, we're not going to give it to you. What are your options? There are no mechanisms, uh, I can tell you, to force the insurance company to give you a copy of that report. Technically speaking, you can argue to the ombudsperson of the insurance company, you can contact the manager of the adjuster, you can say, look, this is my personal information. This has to do with my file. I'm entitled to this. I agree. I 100% agree that you should be getting a copy, especially if the insurance doctors um, that's assessed you provides for any indication that you need certain treatments, which may be different than what your own doctors are saying. I mean, I think your doctors should be informed of that, right? So they have everything that they need in order to properly treat you. But is there a mechanism in place? Is there a legal uh, uh, way for you to force the insurance company to give you a copy of that doctor's report? I don't know of such a mechanism or such a way. However, there's a caveat here. Oftentimes, the insurance company sends you to one of their doctors or specialists because they are looking to cut you off benefits. Mm -hmm. 
why are they choosing that specialist or that doctor or whoever they sent you to? Because there is a reason for that, right? They're, they've chosen that person to assess you. They're paying that person for their time. That person has a relationship, presumably, with the insurance company. They've worked for them in the past. Many of them have, at least. Well, it's it stands to reason, and I can tell you, again, having done this for quite a while, that many of these, quote-unquote, doctors and specialists that the insurance company hires end up cranking out reports favorable to the insurance company, i.e. reports that contradict what your doctors are saying, that say usually that either you're not disabled or not as disabled as you say, or in any event that you can work. And so the reality is, Lewis, is that if the insurance company is going to decide to cut off your benefits, they're going to do that likely with the backing of this specialist opinion, in which case you're going to call me up and we, me and my team are going to help you. We're going to go after the insurance company because if your doctors are saying you're disabled and, you, and this insurance company says you're not because the specialist says you're not, well, if we make a legal claim, once we activate the legal process, guess what? At that point, under the rules of civil procedure, which are the rules that govern legal claims in Ontario, the insurance company now has no choice but to provide a copy of this report and frankly, their entire file the file that, there are, uh, that they have to disclose under the law once we start that claim. So can you yourself force them to pro- provide you with a copy of the report? Likely not. Um, in other words, you can ask them, but you can't force them. But if they cut you off or they do something that entitles you to a legal claim against them, and we start that legal process, we, on your behalf, can then demand a copy of their file, including the report of that doctor. And John, here's the reason why this is pretty uh, important. Because oftentimes when we get a copy of the insurance company's file and we get a copy of the insurance company's doctors, we can start picking it apart. We can start looking at it. We can start breaking it down. We can look at the assumptions the doctors have made, the adjusters have made, and we can start really attacking the insurance company for their decision to either cut down benefits or reduce benefits. Now, Lewis, if the insurance company does not do anything to your benefits, they don't cut you off, they don't stop the benefits, they don't do anything, I think, I think, this is just a uh, an assumption here, but I think it's a reasonable one, that the specialist or whoever they sent you to likely believes that you are in fact disabled. Yeah. In other words, they probably yeah. agree with your doctor's diagnosis and prognosis. What that means is that it, it potentially strengthens your claim because if they don't cut you off after sending you to one of their doctors, it's likely because they didn't get the opinion they were hoping for, which is that you're not disabled. So... That's the answer here, John, that you can't really force them to provide this information unless there is a legal process, unless the legal claim is triggered. The rules of civil procedure are now at play, and now we're involved, and we are able to then force the insurance company to provide this information. And when insurance companies put up a fight with us after we've started the legal process, well, guess what? Then we bring what's called a motion before a court. It's just us. You, as an individual, don't have to attend. And we force the insurance company to provide this information. They cannot get around doing that. Like They cannot get away from doing that. They have to. They have to. It's a relevant document under the claims process, the legal process. They have to provide it. They can't, they can't simply hide behind any, anything that allows them not to provide it. Uh, so, Lewis, we can, I can answer more questions about this if you want to get in touch with me after the show. But that's the, the brief answer. You likely, as an individual, without a legal process, cannot get this information unless they give it to you voluntarily. We can if we start that legal claim for you. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. You kind of covered the end. What I thought maybe the scenario would be, and that is, you know, they've they've gone out like like they do with surveillance that turns up nothing. If not, it's 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 positive for your case. They get this medical report going. Ooh, that didn't uh, that didn't come out of the wash like I thought it would. So yeah, they're going to keep it close to their chest and not want you to see it, right? A hundred percent. And and I've had that too, by the way, John. I know you you and I talked about the fact that. My background many, many years ago was working for insurance companies. Of course. And when I would be hiring a doctor or a specialist or an expert on the insurance company's dime on their behalf, it would be because I've likely had some kind of an experience with that doctor. I know that they are more, let's say, quote unquote, pro-insurance. And the reality, that's just the way it is. That's the way the game is played. I don't care what any lawyer out there says. That's the way the game is. I say game, not because it's a game for the person who's injured and disabled, but because for the insurance companies out there, it's a game of how much of our money can we, no, how much of your money can we keep in our pockets? That's what the insurance companies try to do. They don't want to pay you. And we've talked about this as well, John. I mean, insurance, and it doesn't matter if it's disability insurance, if it's house insurance, car insurance, the game for insurance companies is how much of your hard-earned money of those premiums that you've paid, your employer has paid, everyone out there has paid billions of premiums. How many of that? How much of that money can we keep yeah. and pay our people, our our board members, our our shareholders, whoever it is? It's the only product out there, insurance, where you are paying for something whereby if you have a problem, the insurance company that sold you that product is going to try not to give you that product, not to pay you <laughs> the premiums. I mean, who who out there hasn't had bad experience with insurance? I've had countless times oh, yeah. where insurance companies have not paid out, right? I mean, you've had that too, John. So my point is people should not simply accept any denial by an insurance company. If you have long-term disability or short-term disability, the insurance company denies your claim or says you must do X and Y and you question them and they say, no, you just listen to us and you have to do it. no. No, you have to test everything they're telling you. If they're telling you they're not approving you, don't take it at face value. Like each and every day, John, I speak with people who are denied long-term disability or are told that their benefits will be cut off. And when I look at the documentation, the medical documentation, the rejection letter, all the documents, and I speak to the person, in many, many cases, I tell people out there, you have rights. The insurance company is wrong. And they tell me, yeah, but it's impossible to fight the insurance company. These, these guys got billions of dollars. They got armies of lawyers. Hey, listen, I, I, know, I know that. I know yeah. that. I used to be part of the army of lawyers for insurance companies. <laughs> yeah. but, but here's the dirty little secret. They don't want you to fight because as soon, as soon as you stand up for your rights, as soon as you have a lawyer or a law firm like ours standing up for your rights, they come to the table and they try to negotiate because the one thing they hate more than paying you is paying their lawyers to fight a claim they know they're going to lose. That is one uh, one jam-packed half hour, my friend. Uh, we'll leave it there for now because we're up against the clock. But in the meantime, you can always reach out to Savan and his team if uh, you have any questions or you want to send along an email. The email address we've been using there is help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, Toll-free, phone number 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. And the uh, website we mentioned, and Savan broke it down, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. That's free. It's anonymous. And that'll let you know... Uh, in a matter of a minute or two, whether you should carry forth and give Savannah a call, and uh, you may have a claim that's just lying there, and you should be proactive about it. Again, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Okay, your weekend begins now. We'll be back here next week with another edition of the Disability Law Show.